Father, I just come before you in Jesus' name. I need your help. Lord, I want you to speak this morning. I want you to speak through this message this morning, Father. So I ask you, Lord Jesus, for me to step back and you to step in and uh, be here this morning, Holy Spirit. Teach us. Teach us what you'd have us to hear. Help us to understand what you'd have us to understand. Lead us along the path of righteousness, we ask. In Jesus' name. We've been speaking over the next few weeks about progress and the necessity and the power in progress and how important it really is in our life. How important it is that in our spiritual life that we have a continual area and a continual stepping stone of progress one step at a time. And we want to continue that today. You know, this being Palm Sunday, it's an interesting Sunday. This was a very important step in the progress of Christ that day. And like we already spoke a little bit about, the people of that day were expecting totally different results that week than what they saw. They were not expecting Jesus to die. Even though Jesus told his disciples that he was going to, nobody believed it. (laughs) Nobody expected it. So with all the progress of Christ's life through that day and through that period of time in his life, his progressionary steps of ministry was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And he was building up, building up, building up, a lot of positive progress. All of a sudden, this week came, and it was major setback in people's minds about who this Christ was and what he was supposed to do. Progress is, is, is very interesting because progress is always associated with setbacks. We'll talk about that more later. But this particular week was a setback in people's minds for the progress of what God had established throughout eternity. But I want to continue today to talk about progress in our life so that we don't waste the Easter season Because no matter what Christ did on the cross for us, if we don't properly put it in perspective and properly utilize it and properly apply it in our life, then the Easter season is meaningless for us personally. Now, it's not meaningless to the church because the church of God will be built. He said, on this rock, Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the church of God will be established. The question I have for you, though, will you be a part of it? He will build it regardless. He is not waiting for your approval. He is not waiting for my approval. He is building his church. The question that we have is, am I going to be part of it? Are you going to be a part of his church? And that's the most important question anyone could ever ask you. That's more important than who you marry. It's more important than where you live. It's more important than how much money you have or what kind of job you have or what kind of car you drive. What's the most important thing in your life is, are you a part of the body of Christ? Are you a part of the church of Christ? Nothing to do with denominations. Nothing to do with this denominational church. It has everything to do with your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the question. So now, 
now that we have that asked, now let's talk about progress. Where are you in your step of progress? We have been passing out sheets over the past couple of weeks, and hopefully you still have them. But we're going to start off, we're going to move on with the pace of progress. We've been speaking about the progress, that progress is required. Must want, one must desire progress in your life. We talked last week in depth about how progress brings opposition. Today we're going to talk about the progress, the pace of progress, and how important it is that we have a proper pace. And we're going to talk about progress as being built upon a good foundation or about our past, good and bad. We'll talk about that. Progress is not afraid of change. In fact, it's a requirement of change. And progress is pleasing to God and those affected by it. So we're going to pick up today on number four, the pace of progress and how important it is. I've heard it said, and I've experienced it, and you are too, that life is a marathon, not a sprint. You are not going to sprint through life. It is just too big and too much. Life is a marathon, and it takes a pace. It takes setting a proper pace, a pace that's not so fast that you can't make it to the end, a pace that is, is uh, moving in a positive direction on a continual basis, but not one so fast that you're reckless and without some thought out. So for the long haul, your pace is very important. It's necessary that we pace our life. It's necessary that we be patient. Christianity is all about patience. In case you didn't realize it or not, you don't get what you ask for all the time right now. Is anybody here that has says that's not true for their life? Every time I ask for something, God gives it to me when I ask. Life for me doesn't happen that fast. Life for me is patience. It is knowing that God has given me promises. It's knowing that he's established his promises that are, that are conditional and unconditional promises. My job is to wait on them. My job is to live my life in everything I can in a good fashion, trying to um, be qualified. That's a good word for a conditional promise. But my job is not to get impatient. My job is to know that God is sovereign. Sovereign means in control. God is in control of everything, including my life. So I need to know that Philippians chapter 1, verse 6 is true. And that says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you or in me will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the day that he takes me home, until the day that my life is over, he will carry on. And he will carry me through. I just have to be patient. It's not going to happen necessarily at my pace. It's going to happen at his pace um, if we read in Revelation chapter 2, he talks, John, the revelator, talks about past churches. And he, and he warns a number of churches. And, and I want to read one verse that he wrote to the Ephesian church. And it's Revelation 2, verse 5. And it says, think about where you have fallen from. And then turn back and do as you did at first. Now, that is to me, a good admonition of this. It's not how you start your life that matters. It's how you finish it. It's not how you start, but it's how you finish. A lot of people start off with great intentions. 
at a really great pace. But that's not necessarily going to make it all the way through for you. I, I recall um, <laughs> when I was in high school, uh, Scott Boss and I were, were going to race. We were running track. And uh, we, we didn't really condition too well because we didn't take it too serious because um, we were just that good of athletes. We didn't have to worry about it, of course. Now, Scott knows this because this is something we laugh about all the time today, but we were going to run a half a mile. And it was at Boyne City, and we'd never run a half a mile before, so we had no idea what it meant to run a half a mile other, other than that it was two laps around, around the track. And we thought, well, that's not too bad. We can do that. So Gary Stutzman was the coach, and Stutz said, okay, Way and Boss, you're running a half mile today. Okay. So we did. So we got going, and there were probably about six or eight people in the race. And so Scott and I took off, and we took off. And we were doing really well. I mean, we were way ahead of everybody. And we got you know, a, a half, you know, we got around the first half of the first lap, and we were probably a good 30, 40 yards ahead. And, and we're running side by side, kind of talking, and we're saying, this is easy. We can do this. We're going to win this race. And so we're running, and we get around the, half, the, the full lap, and we're starting to get a little tired now, and the legs are starting to get a little rubbery, and uh, we get around another, another three-quarters of the way around that lap, and all of a sudden now we are really getting tired. I mean, my legs are gone. My, my, I can't hardly breathe. Um, I'm gasping for breath, and Scott's just as bad as I am, and we're just thinking all of a sudden, I think, what happened to us? We were really good, and all of a sudden people started to pass us. There goes one guy. And there goes another guy, and we're saying, come on, let's go. We're, and by, by the time we got to the last 100 yards, we were dead last. Everybody passed us, and we were just dying. We could hardly finish it. And we laughed at ourselves because we thought we had it figured out. Well, we had no idea the word pace and how important it is to write at us to start off at a proper pace because we gassed ourselves at the beginning. We started off really strong, and we looked really good at the beginning, but we came in dead last. And then the race was, am I going to beat Scott or is Scott going to beat me? I don't remember who won, but Scott will tell you he did, and I'm going to tell you I did. Because we were both really tired. I mean, we just fell down. It was just, it was really crazy. Stutzman was laughing. He just thought that was the biggest thing. He just knew what we were going to do. And uh, I think it was just a big joke on his part to watch us struggle. But that taught me a lesson right then and there, and that is be careful. And when I start everything today, I try to start it off that way. I don't always live it out. But I, I wrote on a board in my factory next door when we started that life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Knowing that we can't do everything the first day or the second day. It's a process, and the pace is so important. Not only is the pace important, but so many times I know we've had, we can think of lots of examples, and I'm, I can think of some of my life, and I know of some other guys that I've watched in their lives, that it's not necessarily... Uh, what you do, it's how many things you try to do. How many times have you started something out and never finished it? How many times, how many models, how many car models have you started out as a kid and never finished it because you got bored? Come on. I, I started lots of car models and I never finished them. Drew did too. I see it raising his hand back there. I see, unless you were scratching something, Drew, I'm not sure, but I'm going to give that as, a, as you did because I, want, I don't want to be the only one that didn't finish my car models. And, and other things, and, and those are little things in life, but yet there's a lot of big things in life that we start and we don't finish. That's a waste of time. It's a waste of effort. We have to be careful then that it's not, we're not measured on how many projects we start. We're, we're measured on how many we finish. 
We, we, the false starts that we have don't make us look attractive to our community. We talked about being attractive as a church. I think we need to be careful that what we do, that we finish. That's why we're very careful about how we start junior church and how we start these different ministry programs we're doing because we don't want to make false starts to get something out in the community and not finish it. So we want to be very diligent. And it's important that we become good stewards of our diligence and our time and how we start things and how we pace our life so that we don't, we don't get started and then not finish because we want to be a discipler of Christ. And we want to not just be a convert. We want to be disciple. We want to be discipler. And we want to fulfill the great commission that is to go out into all the world and make disciples of people, not just converts. And then we need to be sanctified. And that term sanctification is a setting apart. It's a process of being set apart. It's a process of, of my life getting better and better and better, more godly, more Christ-like. No Christian starts off at the moment of conversion and is the ultimate Christian. We all have problems after the point of conversion, and that's, uh, that's okay. It's supposed to be that way. There is a process of loving and nurturing and feeding the new convert, and so such a time that we become discipled, and then we continue the process, and it's a process of one progressionary step at a time, one spiritual foot in front of another. Regardless of how I feel, I'm going to keep plugging on. I'm going to keep doing it. I'm going to keep loving people. I'm going to keep becoming more like Christ. And as I do that, I then become healthy, and I can, be, I can have a healthy pace of growth. I can have a healthy structure in my life. We can have a healthy structure in our church. And we're not anxious and we're not hasty in our, in our life and in the way we move and in the way we live. Proverbs chapter 19, verses 2 and 3 in the NIV says this. It says, Desire without knowledge is not good. How much more will hasty feet miss the way a person's own folly leads to their ruin yet their heart rages after against the lord and yet their heart rages against the lord in the contemporary english version i like it a little bit better a little bit more easy to understand i believe it says willingness and stupidity <laughs> don't go well together <laughs> willingness and stupidity don't go well together if you are too eager you will miss the road we are ruined by our own stupidity though we blame the lord now, do you ever see that in your life, that we get started and we think, God has got me down this path, and then through our own hastiness, our own not wanting to pray through it, not wanting to get God's real direction in it, we get down the path and maybe we've missed it because we got ahead of God a little bit in our haste, in our pace of life. We, we couldn't wait. We couldn't wait for God, so we did it on our own, and we got a little bit in trouble, and then we blamed the Lord not good. Not a good place to be. God will set a pace for us. If we're willing to, to be patient, God will set a pace that's doable for us, that's workable, that is growing and that's healthy and it's efficient. And if we allow him to, he'll even give us time of rest in that time. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 23 says, showing respect to the Lord brings true life. If you do that, if you do it, you can relax without fear of danger. You don't have to live your life thinking that, that you're on such a hectic road that if you don't constantly do something for God that he's going to be angry with you. He will give you rest. 
In fact, he will take your, light, your load and make it light. He says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and then you will find rest for your souls. God is a God of a constant pace. He's not a God of hurry up and wait. He's not a God of rush and get anxiety built up and stress. He says, no, if you be patient in me, if you wait for me, I will give you rest along the way, and I will make your burden light. I know in my life I think I have to figure too much out. When I pray, it's like I've got to figure out how to tell God how to solve my prayer. That's not true. That brings anxiety. That brings stress. When I pray, I'm stressing my relationship with Jesus. I'm stressing how I want to be more like him. I want to be closer to him. But if I think I have to tell him how to solve my problems, I have a lot of stress built up because I can't solve my problems. If I could solve them, I wouldn't have to pray about them. So what I do is I take my problems to Christ and I say, Lord, this is a problem in my life. I need some help. And he says, yes, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. When are you going to take my yoke on? Give me your burden. Give me your stress. Give me your problem. And I will give you a light yoke. And then I can walk away with it left at the cross, knowing and with confidence that he is going to take care of it. I don't have to worry about it anymore. I don't have to stress over it anymore. That doesn't mean I don't go to my job the next day. That doesn't mean I still don't pay my bills. That doesn't mean that at all. It means I take the stress out of it. It means I go to my job the next day and I don't worry about, is, am, I, am I going to have it the next day? I don't worry about, am I going to have bills, money to pay my bills? I'm just going to trust God that I am because his promises are such that I will if I love him. And if I do the things that please him, he will take care of me. There are conditional promises and that's one of them. But I have to do my part and you have to do your part and then we have to lay it at the cross and leave it there. I think too many times we want to pick it back up and figure it out. And the more I have to figure out, the more stress I'm going to get because I can't figure it out. I don't have to figure it out. That's the blessing of God. Number five, progress is built upon the past. This is, uh, this is really interesting because we, we, have, we all have a past. You have yesterday. I have a yesterday. And they're all different. Progress is built upon the past, successes and failures. And what's important is we don't get stuck in either one. We don't get stuck in our successes, and we don't get stuck in our failures, but we have the understanding of what our past is supposed to be. Now, a past can be considered a foundation. For those that have had a good past, it's a good foundation. For those that have had a hard path past, it's we're going to talk about that because it's not a good foundation, and we know that. We're not going to try to say something that's not true. If you had a hard past, that's not much of a foundation to build on, is it? But we're going to give you a way that you will have a strong foundation for your future. One thing about foundations, well, there's a couple of things about foundations I want to talk about. Number one, that a foundation, if it's built right, a foundation is only built once on a house. If you build the foundation right... The foundation is only built once, and then everything else on top of that has a life. Everything else on top of that foundation can be remodeled, can be reworked, can be redone. You can put new carpet, you can put new paint, you can put new windows, you can put a new roof. But if the foundation is done right, 
you never touch the foundation again. Is that right, Dick? Ron, am I right? Do you ever have to remodel a foundation? Not unless you've got a problem, right? And when you have to remodel a foundation, it's a lot of work, isn't it? Thank you for agreeing with me, even though I'm not right. Thank you. No, I, I do agree with that. That is right. You have to, if you have a, found, a firm foundation, your whole house will be stable. Yes, you may have to work on your house. Yes, you may have to update your house. Yes, you may have to keep it current for, for current technology and, 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 and update it and maintain it and be a good steward of it. But the foundation is a one-time deal. Another thing about a foundation is it's typically unseen. A foundation is typically something you don't brag about. You know, in the automotive world, the transmission guys hated, you know, the, the engine guys that built engines for cars, everybody would brag about their engine. You, you talk to a real car guy, and he'll tell you about his eight-cylinder, 350, or whatever his engine is. Isn't that right, if, car guys? But how many times do you brag about your transmission? Nobody brags about their transmission. And it was funny because the guys who worked in the transmission plants knew that. And the guys who worked in the engine plants knew that. And so the engine guys would always, there was always this rivalry between the engine and the transmission guys because nobody bragged about a transmission. Everybody brags about an engine. Well, here's the deal. Your foundation is hidden. Nobody really brags or the, the, the foundation isn't really seen after it's built. But yet the foundation is the most important thing in the house. The transmission, in many ways, is more important than the engine because an engine can be replaced a lot easier than a transmission. Why is that important? It's important because you have to take the time to build the foundation. You want to build it one time and one time only. You don't want to have to remodel your, your foundation, and you want to be able to build it strong and true and solid. How do you do that? How do you build a strong foundation? If it's unseen, then you have to do it when you're unseen. You build a strong foundation through prayer, through Bible reading, through your own personal study, and nobody sees it. If you're building, a if you're building your foundation on Sunday mornings, and that's it, it's not much of a foundation. The foundation has to have more time. You can't shortcut it. You can't speed through it. You can't cheapen the process. The foundation takes time. Then you have to build your foundation on a certain thing. You have to build your foundation on a cornerstone, and the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. A cornerstone is very, in those days, I'm not sure if you use cornerstones today, you probably don't, but when they were building stone buildings, they would have a cornerstone which was perfectly square and perfectly plumb and level, and they would put that cornerstone in the corner, and the house would be built according to that cornerstone. And if you, had a, if you would lay the cornerstone properly with a plumb, straight, level, and build appropriately to that, you would have a square house or a square building. So important that we have a cornerstone. And Jesus refers to himself as a cornerstone. In Isaiah 28:16, the prophet Isaiah says, So this is, what, this, this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never panic, never be stricken with panic. The CEV or the, the, uh, the uh, contemporary English version says that no one will, be, will be, ever be disappointed. No one will be disappointed if you lay your foundation right. If you put your foundation on the cornerstone of Jesus, 
the precious cornerstone. He will give you a sure foundation. And when you rely on that, no one will ever be disappointed in that. Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter, chapter 2, verses 19 through 21. In the NIV, he says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. There's a lot of false Christs. There's a lot of false things we can build our life on. But if we're not building our life on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, your life is doomed. Your life is in for despair. Your life is in for destruction. Uh, there's a lot of things that come and go. A lot of changes happen. We have college expenses and kids come and, and weddings and funerals and all kinds of th time in our life. And if we don't build our home first on a solid foundation, when those times come, when those rough times come, we're not going to have the stability to stand. So we must build our life on the foundation. And it is typically unseen. It's unseen here. And, and this is what's important to know about this unseen part too, is that you can fake it out. You can fake me out with this. You can, you can appear to have a solid foundation. You can appear to have everything set. You can appear to be growing in this area. But when the storms of life come, we'll know. You'll know. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 through 27 says it this way. In the New King James Version, it says, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was, it fall, was its fall. The foundation is absolutely vital. All right, now some are saying, but Mike, listen, you had a good upbringing, I didn't. You're, I, I, can't even, I can't even relate to you now because you're talking about something that's totally different from what my experience has been. And this is what I have to say. I have to say that you can do it. You can build your foundation beginning today on your life. You don't have, having a strong foundation doesn't really have anything to do with the past. Because there's a lot of people that have good pasts that aren't building a good foundation today. So it's kind of irrelevant. My past, yes, it gives me a good head start. But I have to take responsibility for my future. I can't rest on my past. I can't rest on my upbringing. I can't rest on what I was taught. I have to take responsibility for today, for tomorrow. And I have to build my own foundation. I have to take the time to build it myself. And it's ir irrelevant of the past. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 and 29 says, We know that God who always who is always at work for the good of everyone who loves him. They are the ones God has chosen for his purpose. And he has always known who his chosen ones would be. He had decided to let them become like his own son, so that his son would be the first of many children. What's so important here is this. For those that have had a tough upbringing, for those that don't have a good Christian heritage, understand that everything that happened in your life, God allowed I'm not saying he condoned it. I'm not saying he, he wanted it that to happen, but he allowed it. Otherwise, it wouldn't have happened.
God allows everything to happen. And he also knows that he wants to take those and build those for his good. Satan will take the bad things in your life to destroy you. Satan will take those issues, those hard times in your life, as a way to destroy. God will say, I will take those and I will make you a stronger person. I will use that for your good, not for your demise, not for your destruction. For those that love him, all things work out for the good. For those that love him, and our challenge today, like I challenged at the very beginning, is are you going to be part of the body of Christ? Are you going to choose to be a part of the body of Christ? If you do so, then all your past will work out for your benefit. God is not limited by time. He's not limited to say, okay, from now on, everything's going to work out for your good. No, he's not. God is not limited by time. He allowed everything to happen from the moment of your birth till the end of your days, and he'll orchestrate all of it. And he can go back and take the years that the, that, that, that the uh, locusts have eaten, and he can restore that to you. And he can fulfill to you what was destroyed, what the devil intended to hurt you with. And yes, it hurt. But what he intended to destroy you with, Jesus says, if you give it to me, I will build you up. And I will give you a solid foundation. And I will give you a foundation that will never fail, that will never fall. If you will give me your past, if you will give it to me and release it to me and let me deal with it, you leave it there, you leave it at the cross and let me have your pain because I can handle it. He's proven it 2,000 years ago. He, pro he proved to us the pain he could handle by taking on the cross. If he can handle the pain of the cross, he can handle all of your pain. Leave it with him. And then build the future on your foundation today. And then they will rise up. Your generation beyond you will rise up and call you blessed because you will be the foundation. You will be the pillar of your home. Thank goodness I have pillars of my generational past. I have grandparents. I have parents and grandparents. And I can call them blessed. And I do call them blessed because they gave me a heritage. But you know what? It can start today with you. You start the heritage in your life. You start the heritage in your family so that generations down the path, they're going to look at Grandpa so-and-so and say, he was the man, or Grandma so-and-so, she was the woman that I based my life on because of what they did today in 2011. And they will rise up and call you blessed because you did what you needed to do and you created the foundation for your generations to come. And that's the hope that we have in Christ. If we didn't have that hope, then what's the point of Christianity? If we didn't have that to hold on to, then why are we here? If we have to depend upon our past to get us through to the future, then we might as well go home today and just go shovel snow. Because that's what it's doing out there. But thank goodness, thank God for His mercy and His grace that He gives us a future built upon our foundation as we base it on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We have the foundation to move forward, and He will be there for us. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. He's, he told the people, he said, Worship the Lord, obey Him, and always be faithful. 
Get rid of the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived on the other side of the Euphrates River and in Egypt. But if you don't want to worship the Lord, then choose right now. Now, this is interesting. He gave him a choice. He said, guys, you choose. I'm not going to make your choice for you. If you don't want to choose to serve, to serve the Lord, that's your choice. And that's still our choice today, by the way. Will you worship the same idols your ancestors did? Or since you're living on land that once belonged to the Amorites, maybe you'll, maybe you'll worship their gods. I won't. My family and I are going to worship and obey the Lord. You can be the Joshua in your life. You can either say, you know what, my parents hurt me, my parents abused me, or I had all kinds of problems. You know what? And that's really the same thing as what Joshua is saying, is you can worship their gods if you want. You can live in that life if you want to. You can take on those generational curses if you want to. But you don't have to. You don't have to. He says, obey the Lord. Worship the Lord. Obey Him. And always be faithful. Get rid of those idols. Get rid of that past. Get rid of those hindrances to you. And then he said, but for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. He put a stake in the ground and he said, nobody is moving me from that stake. I am the godly man in my house. I am the priest of my home. Dads, this is for you. You need to understand your role in establishing the foundation for your family. You can say, yeah, there's a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff out there. But for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. Just make it that resolute. Make it that firm. Make that kind of a commitment in your life. Moms, you can do the same thing. And then together you can be even stronger. If you're a single mom, be the single mom of God. You can do that. You can put, it, you can put in place that stability and that rock for your kids to go back to. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. No question about it. Nothing's going to blow. Nothing's going to shake me off that. Nothing's going to move me. No compromise is going to come that's going to take me away from that. Yeah, I may see some struggles with my kids. Yeah, I may see some issues. I may see somebody going down a wrong path. But so what? That's not moving me. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be steadfast. I'm going to go forward. And I'm going to call my kids back. And I'm going to call my grandkids back. I'm going to call those generations back and I'm going to say, come stay where I'm at. Come to the household of God. Come to the firm foundation that you will have a promise there. You will have a promise of God's blessing forever and ever and ever. If you will come back and call out and stay there. You know, this is where you need to be patient, parents. This is where you need to be patient. Understand that it's not your job to save them. You've raised them. You've done your job, parents, grandparents, Pray for them now. Your job is to pray and be patient and let the Holy Spirit work. Not to waver, not to uh, try to smooth the edges over, not to try to make it seeker-sensitive to come back a little bit. No, you be strong, and you be strong in your resolve to say, I'm going to serve the God, and I'm not going to compromise, and I'm not going to leave it. I'm going to keep trusting for God because I only want the best, because God only wants the best for me. And if I compromise with Him, then I'm not taking God's best. The moment I compromise, I'm weakening, I'm, lo I'm losing the blessing of God when I compromise. No, I'm going to stand strong. I'm going to stand on the Word of God, and I'm going to trust the Word of God to be, tr to be true. And I'm not going to compromise on it, because I know it's right. 
See, if I didn't believe it was right, then I could compromise because I'm trying to make something which I can make something better. But you can't make the Word of God better. When you compromise, you're not making it better. You're not making it easier to swallow. You're not putting sugar on the pill. <laughs> you're not trying to make it easier for them. What you're doing is you're confusing them. Because now you don't know where to compromise or where not to compromise. So just stand in the Word of God and be strong and have resolve and be patient and pray and pray and pray and pray. And don't give up on praying and know that they will rise up and call you blessed. Progress, number six, is not afraid of change. In fact, progress requires change. Change is an absolute requirement for progress. Because if I'm not willing to change to be more Christ-like, to put off my old self, my old man, then I'm really not willing to progress. Because I'm all, now, I'm, now I'm controlling it. Progress is required. Change of progress is saying, God, I know you're sovereign. I know you're in control. I'm going to back off and let you be God, and I'm going to follow you. And if that following you probably, not probably, is going to require change. It's going to require my life to change. It has to. Because my nature, my man nature is not of God. My man nature is anti-God. So if I'm going to progress in God, I have to change. I can't live the way I lived and be progressing in a Christ-like manner. I have to change. And so it's just absolutely necessary to do that. If I decide I'm not going to change, if I just put my heels in the ground and say, God, I'm not going to respond to that way, I'm not. Well, let me ask you, who's winning there? You're not. And you certainly aren't affecting God, by the way, just so you know that. That doesn't change God. God's still God whether I stick my heels in the ground and I'm stubborn or not. God's still God. I'm the, I'm the one that loses. I'm the one that's not benefiting because God's trying to say, Mike, if you'll just change. If you just be quiet and listen to me, and if you just change your ways, I'm there for you. I want to be there for you. I want to take care of your problems. I want to carry you through this. If you'll just work with me, if you'll just work with me, let me be God. Let me handle your problems. You, resp- you reply and you respond in a way that I want you to, and then watch me work. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. As a follower of the Lord, I order you to stop living like stupid, godless people. Their minds are in the dark, and they are stubborn and ignorant and have missed out on the life that comes from God. They no longer have any feelings about what is right, and they are so greedy that, all, that, that they do all kinds of indecent things. But that isn't what you were taught about in Jesus Christ. He is the truth. And you heard him about and, he, and you heard about him and learned about him. You were told that your foolish desires will destroy you and that you must give up your old way of life with all its bad habits. Let the spirit change your way of thinking and make you into a new person. You were created to be like God and so you must please him and be truly holy. Wow. You know, the disciples, Paul, he really spoke the truth. I mean, some things were hard to hear, and he just came, kept coming and kept coming. But he didn't come in judgment. He came in love, and he came in mercy, and he came in grace because he really wanted the people to listen, and he wanted them to change. And so as a follower of the Lord, he was being obedient. He was doing as he was supposed to do. Progress number seven is pleasing to God. 
As a parent, we all love it when we see our babies grow up. We love it when they say the first word or they learn to sit up and begin to crawl and take their first steps. That, and they start putting sentences together and the cute little words they say and how they say it. Then they start riding bikes and a two-wheeler. And we start seeing them grow up. We get, we get satisfaction out of, out of healthy growth in our children. Well, let me tell you what. God gets the same satisfaction out of us. When he sees us grow up, when he sees us take his word and believe it and apply it and grow up spiritually and mature Christian uh, in our Christian walk and our Christian life, that brings a smile to his face, just like it brings a smile to our face when we see our children grow up. God loves it when we grow. We're pleasing to him when we grow. As we conclude this morning, I want to wrap up with a couple questions. Let me ask you, where are you on your progression? Are you pleasing God in your rate of growth? Are you moving in the path that God wants you to move? Are you pursuing the things of God that would make him proud of you? See, the world we live in doesn't pursue those things. The world we live in pursues things of the flesh, things of material gain, material wealth. Not to say they're wrong, but it's the pursuit of such. It's the sacrifice of what you're willing to give up to get that is the danger. As you progress in spiritual things, you have to ask yourself these questions. James chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. James also was a tough teacher. Tough. Ask the questions, hard questions. He asked this question. He says, why do you fight and argue with each other? Isn't it because you are full of selfish desires that fight, that fight to control your body? You want something you don't have, and you will do anything to get it. You will even kill but you still cannot get what you want and you won't get it by fighting and arguing. You should pray for it. Yet even when you do pray, your prayers are not answered because you pray just for selfish reasons. You aren't, your people aren't faithful to God. Don't you know that if you love the world, you are God's enemies and if you decide to be a friend of the world, you make yourselves an enemy of God? Wow. Wow. It's time, people. It's time, Mike. It's time, all of us, to measure ourselves, not against each other, but against the Word of God. To, we measure ourselves against what Jesus is, the standard of Christ. That's why I had a hard time starting this sermon off this morning, because I knew I was going to end it here. And this is a hard spot to end the sermon, but I have to end it here. What are you measuring your life against? What am I measuring my life against? If I'm measuring it against you, I'm wrong. If, I'm, if you're measured in against me, you're wrong. We better be measuring ourselves against the Word of God right there. And he says, you people aren't faithful to God because you love the world. And if you love the world, you are God's enemy. Wow. Stand with me if you would. Are you happy with your progress? Are you happy that you're doing everything you can in your ability and your power to progress spiritually? 
Oh, hallelujah. Father, if you close your eyes with me, let's just pray for a minute. Lord, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I come to you, Father, asking you to help us now in this time. Lord, let your love just flow upon us. Let your love flow from heaven about to us, Lord, because I know how much you love us. We know that. We understand your embrace. We understand how much you love us for what you did 2,000 years ago during this week. What you suffered for us. So, Lord, I ask now as we examine our hearts and we examine our life, are we satisfied with our progress? If you're not satisfied with your progress, would you with me raise your hand and say, Lord, I want more. I want more. I see those hands. If you're not raising your hands, you need to examine your heart. We all, all every hand should be up in this place this morning saying, we want more. We want to progress. We want the Holy Spirit to move and, and, and work in our life and, and settle some things within us. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it's so easy just to say a prayer and go home. I'm so tempted to do that, but I can't today. I'm sorry. I just can't because people have to work through some things today. We have to know what are we doing? What are we progressing for? What are we pursuing What are you pursuing? Are you pursuing God? Or are you pursuing the things of this world? Are you comfortable where you're at? Spend a moment as we sing and just examine your heart in Jesus' name. As you go home to your homes today, I just really encourage you to take this to heart. If you want to pray, I'd love to pray with you this morning. If anybody wants to stay and pray throughout the week, if you want to pray, if you want to talk. I, I just I just feel that there's still a burden in my heart this morning, but I'm not going to belabor it. I'm letting go. It's 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 a good day. Just I just want to encourage you today to follow Christ. Don't give up. Don't leave him. Don't be lazy in it. Father, we thank you, Jesus. 
Lord, I thank you, Father. Lord, I just pray your mercies and your grace. I pray, Father, that you would work in our heart and our life. Just challenge us. Lord, help us to hold ourselves accountable to you. Lord, help us not to let ourselves off the hook. Help us, Father, not to be uh, lazy in our spirituality or in our, in our relationship building process with you. Help us to know how serious and how significant this is. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that, you would mercy, that your mercy would flow through us, your love would flow through us. I ask these things now in Jesus' name.